Alright. Oh, wait, we're on air. That is our acapella rendition of our opening. So, yeah, a little Captain Beefheart for you there to kick off the show. Right, right. Uh, welcome to our show. We are uh, CITR's Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I'm your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark. All right. And we have a, a, a great show for you today, uh, a review of a, uh, a wonderful theatrical show that's taking Vancouver by storm. Uh, it's going to be here until April the uh, 23rd, still playing until April 23rd. That is Angels in America Part 1. That's done by... Millennium the, Approaches. Thank you. By the uh, Arts Club. And uh, we're also going to give a few shout-outs of all the things to expect this upcoming month as well as in May. Because, uh, unfortunately, today is our last show of the is. term. Yeah. We're ending with a beginning here with Angels in America. We'll True. probably come back in time, I think, to... We'll, be coming back right around the time Perestroika comes to it, like part right? two. Can you imagine, like, right in September? All right, Angels of America, part two. Let's talk about that. A you still listening? <laughs> yeah, continuation, just like that. Um, yeah, that's how you'd view it, so. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, like, the uh, person who's listening to the podcast like, oh, man, I really want to know what happened in part two. Just listen, whoa, it's part two. Damn cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, so we're going to get right into it. Let's talk about Angels in America. This is at uh, the Stanley? Uh, yes, the Stanley Industrial Alliance stage. And that is in um, on Granville Street, if people yep. are wondering where that is. Not yep. the one on Granville Island, the one on Granville and Broadway. Which Go I, a little bit up. I almost thought it was the one on Granville Island. Right? <laughs> Just think. <laughs> Which is like, I, I, that, that was good you pointed out that, that, that out to me, actually, because I would have missed it. And I really did not want to miss this. Yeah, it was a, a really... Apparently, a stunning performance. People raved about it oh, in yeah. the local media. Like seriously, I, I uh, there was this um, review, and the Sun gave it a, a wonderful um, like praise. Uh, everywhere, everyone's just clamoring about uh, the Angels in America performance at the Stanley Industrial Alliance stage by the Arts Club mm-hmm. Theater. And let's talk about it. So, what did you witness going into the Stanley? Take us there. So I understand I, I tend to gush about a lot of plays I do. Like, there's some that are just really, like, some like uh, for, uh, what was it, Brave New. Like, I do kind of grade that on a curve. I still happen to think a lot of those were very good plays. And mm-hmm. I said there that uh, The Hoarder had the best performance probably I'd seen this year. And that does remain more or less true, because that guy's still an amazing actor. But... Angels in America is an actor's play, and this was phenomenal. They put together, and I really do want to shed some light right on on my favorite part of the play, which is Brian Markinson as Roy Cohn. Mm-hmm. And now this play, actually, the one thing is, and Andy, I think last show was talking about how it might be obscure to people who don't know the the topical the context of it. Yeah, it would you is. like? And you gave a little bit of the context, but would you like to give it again for those who might have missed our last? Uh, show? Well, I can do that, and so does the play. Yeah. The, glo- the program gives a glossary of terms. Ronald Reagan and the New Right, this is set in 84, wonderful, yep. uh, which is when Ronald Reagan was in power, the America took a sudden swing to the right, uh, d- reflecting things like uh, crime was a problem. Uh, and if you see the media then at the time, like there's this definite huge thing for law and order, this mm-hmm. yuppie-ish trend that really took an upswing. Um, and that's where you get American Psycho from, actually, at the at the end of the decade. Um, and then there is HIV and AIDS, which in 85, 86, th- this is 85, 86, I think, or 84, 85, mid-80s. 
AIDS was just becoming known. Ronald Reagan himself actually didn't acknowledge uh, HIV and AIDS until Rock Hudson, who was his close friend, died in 85. And Rock Hudson was gay. Mm -hmm. This was an open secret. And he had a connection to Roy Cohn, which I'll explain later. But he was also Republican and a friend of Ronald Reagan's. He was a guest in the White House. He was a matinee idol like Reagan was. Actually, no, not more so than Reagan was ever. Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan was never a very well-acclaimed actor, and justifiably so. But <laughs> you didn't you didn't like his uh, body of work? Is it, it was he was he was a bit actor. Like yeah. that's he was a he was just kind of unremarkable. Like there wasn't I've I remember seeing him in Dark Victory I think was he was an effeminate socialite and that was the only time I remembered seeing him in a movie like oh hey that guy became president of the United States mm -hmm. he's just like he's not in much of the movie his character is coded gay but like it's 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 like it, he, he was just not a very good actor neither was Rock Hudson but Rock Hudson was not employed to act and mm. never really was but anyway uh, HIV and AIDS was raging at this time. And the reason why HIV and AIDS became what, what – it became a plague, not an epidemic, a plague, because it was allowed to do so. Because AIDS affected two groups of people predominantly, homosexuals and drug addicts. And this is made very – And this is in uh, USA. In, in the 80s, yes. In, in the 80s at that time. This is, and it didn't affect the people who this government cared about. This mm -hmm. people – and I, I don't mean to be – like to, to, to rant on this, but this is true, is that the Reagan administration, I want to say, at best did not care and at worst actively tried to avoid responsibility for yeah, this. Yeah, and we touched upon this in our last uh, show as well. It was, um, mm -hmm. it was made clear that um, at that time it was not a high priority. One thing I forgot to mention was Pat Buchanan here. Go ahead. Uh, and Pat Buchanan was at the time the White House press secretary. He wrote an article that said, the poor homosexuals have offended nature and now nature is striking back at them. Mm -hmm. And that in many ways kind of funds this because kind of not funds, fuels this, what Angels in America was. Because Angels in America reflects perspectives here about sexuality and religion that are – because specifically homosexuality and Judaism – that are off that have a rather problematic history uh, in the eyes of the people who were then running the country, uh, because this is pointed out about it is that Tony Kushner is a gay Jewish man who wrote this play, mm -hmm. as was Roy Cohn, who was the hyper conservative lawyer who it is noted in this play was a minion of Joseph McCarthy and who got Julius and Ethel Rosenberg executed for treason in the okay. 50s. And if people are wondering that we're talking about McCarthyism, we're talking about the Red Scare. Yeah, this is back in the 50s. And Roy Cohn was, became a very powerful lawyer. He's a fixer. And he's introduced in this play. This play introduces his character lit in this red from below. And that's mm -hmm. every scene he's sort of introduced in. He's satanic. And he is this crude, volatile... Not he's he's smart. He's very clever, but he's also deeply venal. And there are there's a scene with him, uh, that, this great speech by him when he talks about to his doctor because Roy Cohn gets AIDS and he did in reality die of AIDS, mm -hmm. and they start noticing lesions from Carposi's sarcoma (KS), which is an uncommon skin cancer that is uh, that happens when your immune system shuts down, which is what happens when you have HIV. Mm -hmm. So. He his doctor finds these legions and lesions and it, he gets in he basically goes on this tangent about how he he is not as he sees himself a homosexual because to be homosexual doesn't have to do with 
sexuality has to do with power. I see. Because a homosexual, as he says, is someone who has no clout. And he says, this is a great line, and it's delivered fantastically, is, I have sex with men, but unlike most of the people, um, unlike other people in this situation, I am able to bring the boy I'm screwing to the White House. And President Reagan shakes his hand and smiles at him. Mm-hmm. That is a commentary on power and influence more so than sexuality i said before that it wasn't really a play about government insofar as religion there is a, a lot more government in it than i thought i it, also said more, before that like the, the, apo- the sure, idea of being empowered and and in some in some ways having a different set of privilege just by not identifying as gay that character yeah yeah, yeah and like the, the funny thing is that um uh funny yeah like the thing is that <laughs> He, the fact that he does not admit he has AIDS, he says, I have liver cancer. It kills him. Mm-hmm. AZT, which was the AIDS drug, if you've seen Dallas Buyers Club, like it's not a particularly good drug. Again, Big Pharma is as much to, at fault as the American government, but both of them are deplorable in this situation. Um, oh, it was just in trial then. It came out in 87, and Roy Cohn probably could have gotten himself experimental trial, but experimental trial for the drug. But to do that, he would have had to say, I have AIDS. And mm-hmm. I am a homosexual or a drug addict, which was at the time and arguably now uh, the implication of saying you have AIDS. There was a, there was also if we're going to go back to like McCarthyism, there was also part of you know there's a red scare, but there's also something called a lavender scale. Yes, because the J Edgar but, Hoover uh, gutted. Uh, he found dossiers of people who were homosexuals mm-hmm. in the pen- in government, and he had them purged because his argument was that if they were homosexuals, they could that could be manipulated in mm-hmm. favor of the Soviet government, which is big talk from J. Edgar Hoover, a man who wore dresses on a regular basis and probably had an affair with his male secretary. But uh, that particular hypocrisy is more deep-seated than that, so that, that man ever mm-hmm. would have realized. So there's a lot of... Um... Con- contextual things to angels in America yes. based on only the history and the characters that are uh, within the play because they carry all that kind of oh yeah and weight they, they reference that the thing is that the references here are so dense that a lot of these co- seem to be spoken from life experience like uh, Lewis Ironson mm-hmm. who is played by Ryan Beale here he looks kind of like a uh, slim handsome John Lovitz okay. and sounds like him too okay <laughs> he does actually and who is a uh, and who is uh, Lewis Ironson uh, played by? He Ryan Beale. Ryan Beale. Mm-hmm. And that, Lewis Ironson is the character. The he's character. a Jewish writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gay. This man is Tony Kushner, more or less. And he's very – Kushner, I get the feeling, uh, is either incredibly self-aware or he just hates himself. But I think he's self-aware because <laughs> Lewis, a, a lot of it – there's a conversation he has with Belize, who's another man who's black and gay, which is, I think – which. Not not a very easygoing combination mm-hmm. it, in in general and in, especially, you know, at this point in history. So um, he Lewis and Belize have this conversation basically. And it, it is about different kinds of privilege and persecution. Like Lewis demonstrates some racism about him because he thinks that black people are anti – because he has this suspicion that black people are anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. And both of them, despite being of different ethnicities and having different views based on this, are marginalized in that same way because they're gay. Mm-hmm. So it's it's these different uh, perspectives that come in. And there are – there are different – a lot of different perspectives on this, a lot of very interesting um, looks at it. And it's – honestly, I'm trying to – I'm trying to figure out the best way to approach this. Because this, as a staging, 
was very good at because uh, it's an actor's play. You focus on the performances. And it's supposed to be very spare and Brechtian, so you focus on those performances. This did that very well, and there was an excellent way they did that. There are several scenes where characters hallucinate in this play. Mm -hmm. One character, Porter, she's this Mormon uh, housewife. She's addicted to Valium, and she has hallucinations occasionally, which I suppose if you're pretty spun on benzos, yeah, you could hallucinate. Um, And then there is – she is is played by Gabrielle Rose. Oh, oh, sorry, I – I got that. Sorry, I, I I I misread. My bad. That's Celine Stubel. That's Harper. Her name's Harper. Mm-hmm. It is is a housewife. Celine, played by Celine Stubel and Prior Walter, played by Damian Atkins, who's a gay man dying. He's Lewis's boyfriend, mm-hmm. dying of AIDS, and they hallucinate and they see each other. And the way these characters hallucinate is there's a camera brought on stage hooked up to a projector so that you can see their faces as they do it. So they can do this small screen acting. Oh, I see. And this happens to to um, this happens during the hallucination as they sort of exchange the cameras. Yep. Uh, Also, she in her hallucinations sees Monsieur Lies, who's played by the same actor as Belize. All of these actors are double cast. Yep, they're double cast. Um, Or even triple cast. Yeah. Yeah. Many times. Yeah. Uh, And. By she's Mr. Lies has a camera, and you see sort of her sort of spiraling. So, would you say that the use of multimedia, so with the Very camera, effective, it's yes. effective? It doesn't, it didn't take away from the performance. Well, oh no, it added to it. Um, mm-hmm. the best example is so Roy Cohn has a pretty low actually, his point gets lower, but he is as a dying man, he has this point where he collapses in pain from his liver cancer, yes. uh, and he sees Ethel Rosenberg who comes on with the camera. Mm-hmm. And he grabs this camera. He's in a lot of pain. Like the And uh, Brian Markinson playing him is just this fountain of playing him as this man who is still a pretty brutally vitriolic, despite the fact that he's on the doorstep of death. Uh-huh. And he just grabs the camera and starts ranting, ranting into it. And you can see his face projected onto this screen he's terrifying mm-hmm. he's almost like the, the, the previously they have him with this devilish lighting he looks psychotic just blaring into this camera and you get this impression in this depiction of roy Cohn of this deeply this this deeply hateful but also this deeply strong and like this deeply I don't know if strong is the right word, but... Would you say, like, an intimate or intense? Powerhouse of a personality just colliding with the notion of death Mm -hmm. and refusing to acknowledge that, which is a lot of Roy Cohn's identity. Would that be kind of like a a huge, like, staunch, like, grasp on, like, pride? Oh, yeah. Roy Cohn is arrogant as all... Well, he knows. He, he, like, uh, well, okay, this is the interesting thing. Uh, In in the play, Roy Cohn says to... um, to Joseph, to Joseph Pitt, who's this Mormon lawyer, he's Harper's husband. Also, very he's he's so far in the closet, he sleeps in he sleeps in a bag full of mothballs. Okay, but he talking to Roy. Roy tells Joe that he um, knew Ethel Rosenberg was innocent, but that he was on the phone every day talking to the judges mm-hmm. and got her executed as well mm-hmm. because he hates traitors, and that is. Well, the funny thing is documents that there was recently an inquiry into it and they thought that Ethel Rosenberg did have a role with it such that she could have been charged with treason legitimately. But it is fairly certain that regardless of whether or not the complaint was legitimate, the handling of the case was not. And at the time, it was well accepted that Cohn had tampered with it to get a human being killed. Um, 
And as a, as a villain, Roy Cohn is really impressive because uh, he he sort of like he he he's as a as a character, I keep saying as a character, but that's what this play is about, is about these characters, these almost archetypes, but not really. He is... What, what, what prevents them from being just stereotypical archetypes to you? Oh, they're just the depth. The fact mm-hmm. that Roy Cohn was a real person, and this does not seem like this seems, well, aside from the, you know, the, the, the bizarre, surreal encounters with the ghost of Ethel Rosenberg, uh-huh. this does not seem like it would be uncharacteristic for someone in that position. Mm-hmm. Like this brutal to the right of Genghis Khan, powerhouse of a human being, at the height of his, like, perpetually power drunk, personally knowing the president, having known from the start of his career that he could basically kill people by talking. That sort of person is this larger-than-life persona that's kind of hard to play. And that, in the movie, which I'll try not to reference the movie too much because I did get it, I did did check. The movie is full six hours long. I said four and a half last time, but it just felt shorter than it is. Um, In the movie, Cone is played by Al Pacino. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, Markinson was drawing on that a little bit. Um, There there were enough differences, though, to say that he made this his own. Mm -hmm. And... um, in both cases, like it's, it's true that you need this larger-than-life personality to back up Roy Cohn. You need this ability to go to these extremes of emotion and to, to, to really show the fact that this character is someone he built on contradictions. Yep. Like, he's a gay Jewish man working with people who probably hate both of those things mm-hmm. intensely. And <laughs> if this this is... Fairly, I think this is accurate uh, today because I, I said the same thing during the election special on News 101 of Miley Yiannopoulos because uh, Miley Yiannopoulos actually I, I think is deserving of less respect than Roy Cohn because at least Roy Cohn actually did something, you know. Um, but uh, he, he, Miley Yiannopoulos is a gay Jewish man uh, and he is an affiliate of what I would say is the far right. Mm-hmm. Most of those people – outside of his immediate fan base, like the Breitbart people, hate him. They hate him for what he is. Yes. And Roy Cohn was acutely aware of the fact that he, I think, that as a right-wing Jewish man, he's in reasonable company, especially because of the Reagan administration's stance on Israel. Mm -hmm. But as a Jewish homosexual, no matter how far right he is, he is never going to be able to make that same circle. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is the play does run on things like that because the comparison of him to Joe, who is and uh, Joe, who's played by Craig Erickson in this, um, and he's played by Patrick Wilson in the film too. Um, the Joe's character is as someone who is also sort of torn between these two things, except Joe has scruples and integrity which Roy doesn't and makes no illusions about not having really like Roy is a person motivated largely by his lizard brain like yes why'd you kill Ethel Rosenberg I hate traitors is Uh his is his answer like he believes in these things because they are to him bigotries whereas Joe has beliefs personal religious what have you he's idealistic in that regard um which means he's kind of in the wrong profession (laughs) um because and what they want to do is they want to use him too. Like he is, he works for Roy Cohn and he looks up to him a lot. Like he he, is, he voted for Reagan is the thing, and that's the funny thing. He he gets into a relationship with Lewis. Lewis, it's worth noting, is a terrible person because he kind of does desert his dying lover. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, he, Prior he, Walter. Yeah, he deserts 
Pryor and leaves him to die. Understandably, Pryor's rather mad about that. Um, but uh, the thing about it is that Lewis helps Joe realize that he is gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's really keeps telling him that. Like, he first he meets him, he's like, you're a Republican. He's like, yeah, oh, gay Republican, huh? What? Oh, you're not Republican? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, and yeah, like, that's that, that was a great line in this play, too. Like, they both did it really well. Like, this Craig Erickson, you could see, I was not close to there, but I could still see these little reactions in his face, like the characters, the bit of confusion, fear, and then, what do you mean by that? <laughs> it was really well acted, mm-hmm. that uh, interplay of things. And the... The, um, what, what was the big best for it? Like, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so he believes in these things. And belief is another thing mm-hmm. that is very important because it starts with something very interesting. Um, the progr- It starts with a rabbi who is played by, uh, I, I, I believe it is. Um, the rabbi is uh, played by the uh, by Gabriel Rose. She's the one who's playing Rabbi yeah. Isidore Kemowitz? Uh, Kemowitz, I think. Kemowitz, thank Hemowitz, you. I, I, she, she plays multiple parts. In I was very impressed by her chameleon like ability to shift. She was Ethel Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. She was uh, Cohn's doctor. She's Joe's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, yeah. That's a, that's a great thing about this as an actor. As I was not joking when I, I said this is um, an actor's play. Mm-hmm. And I, we will elaborate more on that after some little PSAs. Yeah, it, it sounds really great. And we're going to get more in-depth with it. Cliffhanger. I know. Get used and to those. <laughs> we'll be right back after these short messages. Do you love the idea of empowering female youth through music creation and performance? Girls Rock Camp Vancouver is a 100% volunteer-driven nonprofit that promotes self-esteem and builds technical skills in female and non-binary youth ages 8 to 18. Help support this initiative by donating, volunteering, or attending their end-of-camp performance July 15th at the Rio Theatre. If you're interested in being a camper or volunteering with Girls Rock Camp, visit girlsrockcampvancouver.ca. Thousands of opinions are at our fingertips, but are all opinions informed? Does your information have a source? Is your social feed based on fact? Only facts can uncover the truth. Professional journalists are committed to balanced and nonpartisan reporting, to independent commentary. They cut through the spin to give you the information and perspective you need. Journalism is essential to democracy a watchdog over the powerful, an independent voice. Journalism is more important than ever. And we're back, still in unceded Musqueam territory at CITR 11.9 FM on the Arts Report. On the Arts Report, and we are continuing our review of Angels in America, Part 1, The Millennium Falcon. I'll have you uh, take us back into before we... Millennium Falcon? Oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh, oh contact warning. Um, oh, shoot, Amoli. No, Millennium. <laughs> the great Star Wars oh crossover. <laughs> Sorry. Emperor Palpatine has oh, wow. AIDS, part, and he won't admit one, it. Part one, Millennium approaches. <laughs> Sorry. Which, actually, I, I, I get the feeling that, well, actually, in the, in the movie, I think that as, as Al Pacino 
as, as Al Pacino's Roy Cohn dies of AIDS, he does resemble Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> the makeup budget was really good. Part one, Millennium Approaches, not Millennium Falcon. My mistake. And let's go back into the review. So we were, we're uh, yeah. talking about... Mormonism. Mormonism. Yeah, so... For those of you who are unaware of Mormonism, Mormonism is the religion known for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is Scientology if you take it back a hundred years. It this was is, founded by a con man. This, this is, and this is uh, your personal interpretation of Mormonism. My personal interpretation of Mormonism is as follows. Um, yeah. It was founded by a con man named Joseph Smith. It was perpetuated by a polygamist named Brigham Young. And it was allowed to foster by the mass murder of Native Americans in Utah. Hey, Macarena. Uh, and okay. to... Um, oh Two characters in this play are Mormons. It's Joe and a Harper Pitt. They're a married couple. Actually, Joe's mother, too. That's right. And Joe Pitt, to continue what we said from before. Closeted lawyer. Yeah. Closeted lawyer. Heavily closeted. He's working under Roy Cohn. Yeah. He's he's of the try to pray the gay away school. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, actually, funny, depends on how you look at it. Harper, during one of the hallucinations we mentioned, mm-hmm. she and uh, a prior who's also hallucinating because he's on his deathbed, meet in this hallucination. Mm-hmm. And they actually exchange the cameras, and you can see them talking. And she's like, uh, she says at one point, I don't, we don't believe in addiction. She's popping Valium on a very regular basis at this uh-huh. point. Yeah, benzos are pretty addictive. Uh, not incredibly addictive, but they will get you by the throat, and if you stop taking them, they can kill you. Uh, and then she says to Pryor, in my church, we don't believe in homosexuals. And he says, well, in my church, we don't believe in Mormons. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, it's, it's a pretty good, that's a pretty good line. But, it's um, a good uh, repartee uh, between... Um, all, between everyone. Everyone, Everyone basically. in this play is good uh, repartee. Yeah. Uh, Tony but, Kushner is very good at that. Yeah, he is. He's legitimately really great. Like, I can see why this won a Pulitzer, just mm-hmm. for capturing that. But the thing is that in Mormonism, Mormons don't drink. Um, Mormons, contrary to, the program makes a specific point of this, contrary to most beliefs, Mormon, Mormonism today, most sects of it do not allow polygamy. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also are very anti-gay. The mm-hmm. Church of Latter-day Saints does not recognize homosexuality. Uh, and... The thing is, they also have magic underwear, incidentally. You can actually order magic underwear. It's got a lifetime guarantee and will keep the boner demons away. That's that's not on the package, but it's to uh-huh. resist temptation. So I can only assume, like, it's, like, under armor for your soul. Um, <laughs> which doesn't really work for Joe because Joe's gay. And um, he's just, that's just... Just not just uh, not only for a joke as he's gay, but just in in general, it is I guess a little bit hard to control like sexual impulses. Well, uh, and, and, and no, and uh, is things like this, like things like this insane conviction here, some of these really violent convictions, because mm-hmm. the Church of Latter Day Saints um, has improved, but they are uh, in many ways, in my opinion, a recidivist okay. sect of of. Christianity, technically, they don't really identify that way, but they have this a very fundamentalist, on par with fundamentalist Christianity view of things like this. Mm-hmm. And the thing about uh, this play is that this play was certainly written when the Church of Latter-day Saints was not attempting anything resembling tolerance. Um, yeah, and you also be aware of the, the time when it was written. Yeah, the 80s. Like the, yeah. And this is like, this, is, this has been a great time to be a right-wing Mormon. Like that, that, like uh, considering everything, because yeah. you'd have been that same mindset would have been eulogized by the culture of the '80s, which many people might look back on as naive, like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harper is a very naive character, and as is as is Joe. 
Um, but Joe is a person of principle, whereas Harper is not terribly. Like, she's addicted to pills, uh, mm-hmm. and she does not understand how things work in life at all. Which is, um, Celine Stubel, who plays her, she she is a very, she's excellent at contrasting this she really does get the emotional picture of this character spot on and that there's this almost childlike naivete mm-hmm. combined with this a, a literal chemical imbalance that makes her just sort of a, a, a miserable and volatile human being. Mm-hmm. Makes the character a miserable and volatile human being. She's also agoraphobic. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't go outside. She doesn't go outside. Like she spends – she's in a fantasy world created by the immense amount of pharmaceuticals she consumes. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, we don't believe in addiction. That's like saying you don't believe in guns. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in addiction. If you take a ton of Valium every day, your body will become dependent on it. And if you stop cold turkey, it will kill you. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about her agoraphobia. Um Maybe I'm, like, reading into it, but I, I, just, I always felt like, you know, Kushner making her agoraphobic was alluding to people who never go outside of the borders. Oh, yeah. Therefore, they can yeah. never, you know, broaden their you know, point of view. Yeah, no, she, she, she doesn't want to. She doesn't want yeah. to move. Like, uh, a plot point for Joe is that he's offered a place in Washington mm-hmm. to get into the Justice Department so Roy Cohn cannot go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's like, no, I don't want to go to Washington because she's terrified of moving anywhere. She's terrified of any kind of change. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, like that's that's actually an excellent analogy for it because I think that's another thing he was aiming for. Kushner was aiming for because Joe Pitt is someone who the '80s should have been fine for. Someone who, culturally speaking, on the aims of the Reagan administration, should have a fairly easy time of things if he's willing to work hard, which he is. Mm-hmm. But that's not really how life works. And Kushner's point is that someone like Joe. Who is an ethically upstanding, hardworking, and I would say reasonable person, mm-hmm. devout in his faith, and tries very hard, is ill-suited to life in the world. And uh, because working for Roy Cohn, like, Roy expects him to be a stooge. Roy expects him to help Roy. Yeah. And married to Harper, he's kind of got an anchor tied around his throat. If that anchor were also mildly homophobic. And then there's his mother, who is straight up homophobic. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the environment you come from, right? And uh, the thing is about this, there's a lot about identity that is sets precedent. There's a monologue at the beginning by a rabbi at the funeral of Lou's grandmother. And uh, the grandmother's kids all have very Jewish names like Samuel, Solomon, what have you. Their mm-hmm. kids Physical. all have Gentile names. Like she goes like, Eric? Is that a Jewish name? <laughs> like it's... it's it's interesting because she goes, it's the melting pot where nothing melted. Uh. And that's the interesting thing about it. American identity is big. Mm-hmm. And also the identity of different subcultures in America, whether you be Jewish, gay, Mormon. Catholicism is often brought up because everyone thinks that the characters are Catholic. And like, like mm-hmm. it's like uh, Roy Cohn asks, Joe, you Catholic? Mormon. Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's thinking, wow, this guy is not going to do well. And, like, um, the rabbi says to Lou when Lou asks, hey, religiously speaking, is it fine if I abandon my dying lover? <laughs> to which the rabbi's response is resoundingly, no. Yeah. And he says, you know what? Catholics believe in, uh, believe in uh, was, is it repentance? Jews believe in guilt. Uh-huh. Coming from a Catholic background, there's a lot of guilt there, too. But, mm-hmm. like, that that is kind of... As far as what I've read in the theology, that seems to be true and interesting. But an interesting thing about um, Judaism as a faith, which is fascinating to me, is the importance of language. 
Uh, there is a Kushner language is very important in this play as identity and language are inseparable. And in Judaism, there's language and mathematics are very important to the religion because there are words, the words of the of the Torah, the words of sacred texts. And this is a very rough understanding of Judaism from someone who has never been inculcated into it. Okay. It is that these words are very important and this lexicography is very important. So that is why there's this uh, skill. This is sort of David Mamet, I think, said of this is that why his father, Bernie Mamet, was such a good lawyer. And I think in a roundabout way why he is a good writer. Your mileage may vary. But um, – <laughs> I have issues with David Mamet. I like him, but that's... I, I like, I like you know, Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah. David Mamet is a good example. His plays are about the precision of language. Yep. These words I am saying to you. When he would direct, and he's not a good director, he would just say, say the words! Uh-huh. Which is like, that's 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 yeah. 10% of the battle at most. But the, the thing is that Kushner, who at this point, is actually kind of on the opposite side. David Mamet is in that vein of right-wing Judaism that all, that one one way away from Roy Cohn. He's straight, but, like, he's gone to the right of Genghis Khan recently. Um, <laughs> Mamet and Kushner have this same preoccupation with language, these, these little words that are used. This play sounds accurate. This sounds full. Like, there's people in the play, and you can see this this use of little words, little things that change things. Roy Cohn talking about what he is. He's, I have sex with men, but I'm not a homosexual. Mm -hmm. That's about language to a degree. That's about what are you going to call me, not Mm -hmm. what I am, which is a great thing for a lawyer, also a great thing for a writer to consider. Meanwhile, his doctor, and I come from a family of doctors. If you're a doctor, you're going to be a lot less receptive to this because Uh no matter what you call yourself, you can still, you're still mortal. Liver cancer, AIDS, it doesn't matter. It can kill you. His doctor is just frazzled. Like, whatever you call it, Roy, liver cancer, AIDS, get on that phone, call President Reagan, get some help. Mm-hmm. Which is a very, which is one of the most, I think, satisfying scenes. Like, considering, like, my father, my, my, and the, those in my family who are physicians, that's a very satisfying scene for uh-huh, those from the family of physician to watch. Yeah, because that is something that if you're, that if you're a physician, you probably want to say a lot to yeah. people. Like, just no matter what you call it, it can still kill you mm-hmm. um, and treat it accordingly. And the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing about it is that there is a long scene about what is discussed in this play. There's a good line, which I think is very relevant now, is Joe and Lou discussing Regan's children. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I wrote it down primarily. It's like, what's it like to be Regan's kid? <laughs> They're selfish and greedy and loveless. Uh-huh. Huh. What, that's interesting, considering the uh, the first family right now, a little bit, yeah. Like, they're, like, it's just, venal bastards. Except for Baron, I feel sorry for him, I really do. I wish pe- I wish people would lay off him. The kid's, kid's what, he's 14 years old? He's, he's, he's 14 years old, like, come on. Like, we're made of cringe at that age. The kid deserves, like, the others. To be honest, yeah, we were definitely made of cringe. The others have made their bed and they should lie in it, but give, give him a chance. But, like, that's the that's the thing. He's like, they don't seem like a family. They seem like they're put together. Mm-hmm. That criticism and that criticism, like, like that. This play is very topical now. Like, this works now. And I sat beside um, lovely, two lovely fellows, and we talked about it. And they were saying, like, how very well-timed this is with, you know, with uh, the election with the current situation south of the border. 
And uh, during the Reagan's Children line, I looked to my left, and the fellow sitting beside me was just had this eye wall, ear to ear grin, like you know, like like if you put Trump's children in here, it would work perfectly. Uh-huh. And that's uh, a thing that I find interesting. I find it interesting that this play, which is so densely topical, is so relevant right now. Which is just, it is kind of right. Like, it is relevant because of the political climate that we're back in. We're now swinging um, to a right-wing government in the United States. And uh, even though we, we go like, oh, you know, the U.S. and Canada are quite different, the rise of, um, you know, right-wing Kevin politics you know, brings in our Canadian, um, I guess, versions. And even those around the world, like there's the French elections that are, a happening happened question mark with uh Marine Le Pen yeah Marine Le Pen and um so it's it's kind of um it's kind of a <laughs> domino a domino effect really so i think it's really great that we have something like angels mm-hmm. in america that something like that yeah yeah that we can relate to and maybe not and i wouldn't say like the the, the fight for like you know lgbt like you know rights is you know over like oh that's you know that was the 80s it's over now it's still very prevalent no it's still extremely prevalent and it's still there are still these hateful double standards of people like if you stick okay if you stuck Miley Yiannopoulos in the role of Roy Cohn it would be kind of ridiculous because that Mm -hmm. guy at this point is a humiliating caricature of a journalist but it's it's in kind of a Roy Cohn was a scary caricature of a lawyer yeah and that that'd be a whole different villain. I don't think Yiannopoulos would make a good as good a villain as Cone by a long shot. But the thing about it is that this play works so well because there is this understanding of this. Um, there's this American thing going through about identity, what it means to be American, and what it means to be this different thing in this melting pot that never melted. Mm-hmm. Canada's a mosaic in many Canada, ways. I would agree with Canada being a mosaic. Um, I think that. Uh, especially mm-hmm. um, in America, they're like, you know, what is American? It's like a big question. But for, from what I've noticed, and maybe it's different from people. Because you are American. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I call myself American Canadian. <laughs> I, I put it together because I'm here a lot too. <laughs> but from your perspective, for, from my perspective, because my parents live in, in the United States and they're affected by this more so than me, who you know lives here. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that with Canada, and this is, again, for me, you know, experiencing this with my, you know, body as, you know, a non-white individual, let's say, um, a lot of people are more expressive of their ethnicity than plus Canadian, too, what I noticed, is it, from from what I noticed, maybe that's a Vancouver thing, maybe it's much more different, let's say, if we're in, like, Winnipeg. Mm. I come from London, Ontario, yeah. and London, Ontario has large Greek, Portuguese, uh, Italian, African too. There is an African diaspora in London, mm-hmm. and uh, Korean communities. Yeah. Do you, do you, um, and I don't know. If this is like a all... thing I noticed, but do you think people go like I'm I'm like you know Korean instead of like I'm Canadian? Um. Or like you know I'm. You know, it depends on how seriously you ask. Yeah, I guess like so. like uh, like I can technically say I'm Scottish or Alsatian, but I'm like I'm three generations away from that. Mm-hmm. So would you consider yourself Canadian? Yes, mm-hmm. I, I am Canadian. To quote the Molson's ad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, uh, if if nothing else, because like I do not have an accent, as you may plainly seen. Mm-hmm. I couldn't quote you a, a, an anthem really from that. I've read the literature in both places, but my identity as a Scot or as an Alsatian, even though those are my heritage, such as it is. 
are, I'd say, secondary to my identity as a Canadian because my identity as a Canadian, in turn, is kind of an oddly global one. Like, I haven't been subject – I haven't been subject to a lot of national things in my life. Like, just I, I appreciate what it means to be a Canadian. I know our national anthem. I I think our country is worth serving, and I've given thought to that, and I was I, – I have – I have a great respect for our nation, especially by comparison, but I also mm-hmm. have a suspicion of what happens in detrimentally in other nations, especially in the wave that it happened with uh, Brexit, the election, the yep. cretins in France, Greece. I It can happen here, and I, have a, I do have that suspicion. And I, I mentioned this. I don't want to get into politics on this show, but it yep. is hard not to with Angels in America. It is a political show. And I think we shall return with that slant after some PSAs. That's right. The 2017 Asian Canadian and Asian Migration Studies Dialogue Symposium will be held at UBC. It is on April 8th from 11 to 5 in the AMS Nest Performance Theatre. This public event culminates a year of organizing monthly dialogues on sexual violence as it impacts Asian Canadian communities. For more information, visit ACAM Dialogue. He's a nasty, nasty guy. He's a liar. Get him out of here. Get him the hell out of here. Get him out of here. Who is this guy? Does he have a name? Does anybody know where he's from? They call me DJ Ray. The Late Night Show is the start of the weekend. Tune in every Saturday mornings from 12.30 a.m. to late, right after the Medicine Show. Email us, CITRLateNightShow at gmail.com. This concludes our proposal. Thank you for your attention. Sit back. Relax. Don't miss Jack Velvet's Suburban Jungle Show with plenty of funk, soul, surf, and more music. Wednesdays, 8 to 10 a.m., 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Add us on Twitter, at Jack Velvet Radio. Find us online at jackvelvet.net. Oh, man. What? What? I really wanted to catch that football game, but I have to clean my room. I'm so bummed. Yo, man, totally chill out. You can catch it on CITR. CITR? Did someone say CITR? Yeah. CITR Radio brings you Thunderbird Sports on the weekends. Catch all the action and don't miss a moment of play with our live play-by-play and color commentary. Only on CITR 101.9 FM. Wow, that's great. And if you can't catch the game, tune in at 3.30 p.m. every Thursday for our weekly update on UBC Athletics with live scores recaps and in-depth analysis oh, okay dude okay okay dude we get it dude only on citr and welcome back to citr you're listening to the arts report citr radio 101.9 fm broadcasting from unceded muscoman territory in vancouver we're going to continue with a little bit of our angels in america mm-hmm. review a very nice in-depth review for a very uh, complex play it uh, is to be honest and, and then we're going to do a few shout outs of other things i'm honestly I'm honestly afraid that I'm not going to be able to do this justice, you know, because 
just there's so many things here that are just but really do you know what will do uh justice if you go see the play yes it's until april the 23rd we're uh really really just kind of uh promoting the heck out of it because it's actually so well done see it definitely definitely see this like this is a this is a classic play this is if you enjoy Bertolt Brecht at all this is way way up that alley this uses those tra- traits very well and yeah it is a very metaphorical play, though. You can't take everything from face value because they'll be like, "What's happening? How could they, you know, meet up in well, their no, it's hallucination?" A magi- magic real- it's a magic realism thing, and yeah, it works pretty realism. well. Like that's magic realism if done right. Like I call it the Borges scale is mm-hmm. just is, is amazing. Why do you call it that scale? Because Jorge Luis Borges. Borges. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I see. Bor Borges is for me is rather unoriginally, but I think aptly the king of magic realism. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Borges is, for magic realism, what Tolkien is to fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think, anyway. I could talk about that a lot, but that's an easy digression. Uh-huh. Like there, there are some... I, I do want to touch on another thing, is the prior Walter sees his ancestors. This is a little brief thing, but they're... Yeah. The ancestors are played by... Um, well, one is played by Brian Markinson, and the other one is played by Craig Erickson. So that's, that's Joe and Roy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they... Uh, <laughs> that's very funny, because one of them... This is way back, because there's been so many prior Walters prior to prior. <laughs> like, the first one is uh-huh. Old English, is in, like, Old England. He's like, well... I got carried off by the plague, but I had 16 children. And then the other one's this sort of uh, poncy gentleman. Um, and it's like, you don't need to worry about some things, you know? Yeah. And like, and then finally, like, the one pri- the first prior realizes that, like, the current prior is gay. He's like, oh, so that's why he hasn't got any children. He's a sodomite. <laughs> it's like, really? It took you this long? But um, there's, yeah, there, there that was... What are many good things about this? I, I, I realize that it's hard to do this justice aside from seeing it. Yeah. But I, I will say again that Roy Cohn is an amazing villain, and I kind of want to play him now because of this. Mm-hmm. Just because of how nuanced the character was, right? Nuance? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's with, call with it. The, with the actor. You were talking about the camera. Work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nuance as an actor, yes. Yeah. As a character. No. There's... It's a broad sweep of a as horrible a, person. Not necessarily broad sweep, but it is a very in-depth thing about how evil he is. Uh-huh. Like, just pure, uh, I avoid the content warning, but evil. Uh-huh. Like, just that's sort of what Roy Cohn is and was, and I don't have any trouble believing that, to be honest, which is is kind of reflects on the way you'll see this. Like, this show does have a certain political... Not a certain, it has a definite political bias. Mm-hmm. It's one, I think, that will be well-received in Vancouver, and it's well-received by me, because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's something, like, I see... Like, it really is bizarrely topical. Like, there are a lot of things about it that are topical and I really would want to know what a remix of this would be like with today's topics. I feel like a remix especially with today's topics could be maybe the trans movement. But but the main drawback yeah, is that because... we don't have the threat of disease with it. Well, I, I think I said this in the last show. Yeah. We live in a post-AIDS world. Like, yeah. Regardless what what we think of sex and what we think of sexuality will be tampered by the specter of AIDS because there still is no cure. No. Uh, and that is important, I think, in viewing this. This this point in history, it was a death sentence. Like yeah. It was very rare to survive it. So Nowadays, there are multiple ways for you to, you know, get tested and, and know. Um, I guess this is kind of like a PSA now to, like, get tested, know. And there's ways to manage it, but it's still, it does shorten one's life. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because, yeah. 
it does shorten one's life it unless you have like you know the funds to get well, unless you're magic health. johnson yeah but the <laughs> proper health care the, the thing about it is that yeah like it, it it was a plague it was a plague that was allowed to go on and just because it got rid of quote-unquote undesirable people well because they did not care yeah they legitimately didn't care, and that is a heinous offense against a whole group of people. A whole, not even a whole, even even if you take the identity politics out of it, which I, mm-hmm. you shouldn't. But even if you forget that, just the sheer number of people who died because people were like, yeah, well, we kind of don't like the people it affects. Yeah, let's yeah, no, happen. they killed their own people. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's not only like sexuality, but certain like caveats of race as well. Yes, well, uh, this is an interesting thing about the Nixon administration, which predated the Reagan administration, was their war on drugs, which mm-hmm. was their particular battle more than AIDS, um, which was expanded by the Reagan administration. The war on drugs was proposed because this is what a Nixon aide said on live television, is that we couldn't make it illegal to be black or against the war, because Vietnam was still going on, but by associating blacks with heroin and hippies with marijuana – Mm-hmm. Both of like LSD or whatever. Yeah, yeah, marijuana primarily. Yeah, like primarily LSD was pot. still fairly rare. Like it's it's not a common drug. Mm-hmm. Easy, difficult to make. Easy to distribute. Difficult to make. Uh-huh. But uh, like by doing that, you could raid their houses. You could beat the crap out of them mm-hmm. on a daily basis, and you could demonize them night after night on the news. And that was the thing. They were allowed to do that. The man who proposed the legislation for the war on drugs was an L.A. County sheriff. I think he was the head of the ca- uh, department who believed that recreational drug users should be killed. Mm-hmm. That is the mindset that founded what is probably one of the most costly and I don't want to say unconstitutional because um, this has happened multiple times in American history, but the, the ventures there, which mm-hmm. is still ongoing. Drugs do play a part in this play too, mm-hmm. but less so. It's like drugs and government are kind of less apparent than sexuality and religion. Mm-hmm. But both of those are very big. Religion, language, to an extent, I think. This play isn't necessarily – this could be a play about language, but it's certainly a play about sexuality and religion. Yeah, I, I definitely Two things you should really be well-informed on, I'm just saying. Like, yeah. those are two aspects of life, and you got to, you know, either way, if you're on your knees, you may as well figure out why. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my God. Anyways, so that ra- that wraps up our uh, review of Angels in America. I, we wish we could talk more about it, but – Unfortunately, we don't we don't want to spoil it. We want you guys to go see it. Yeah, I, I I've done my level best to try and spoil this, but seriously, <laughs> I am I am leaving so much out right now. Yeah, and it, it's just very coded with a lot of um, stuff, and we hope that you guys mm-hmm. enjoy it. From what I've seen of the promotional pictures, it looks very beautiful on stage. Yeah, you're seeing it tomorrow, aren't you? That's right. I'm seeing it uh, tomorrow uh, with a group of friends as well. So We're in for a treat. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. So I want everyone to go check it out. Angels in America Part 1, The Millennium mm-hmm. Approaches. As opposed to Angles in America Part 1, The Millennium Falcon, which uh-huh. is a geometry-themed Star Wars <laughs> fanfic. Yeah, yeah. So go see it. That's at the Stanley Industrial. Okay. Yep, right. that it is. All right, let's and kinda, now some brief shout-outs to end the show. Yeah, let's kind of switch gears. So if you're wondering, I don't want to go all the way there. Uh, <laughs> that's totally fine. There's um, uh, This Friday at UBC, there will be a lyric songwriting class live performance at the BD Biodiversity Museum. You might be wondering where that is. That is a museum with a giant whale skeleton in it. That's pretty good directions. Like, yep. nobody's going to ask, well, which one is there? Uh-huh. 
No, like it's like. So this Friday, April the seventh, CITR will be live broadcasting live yeah. student performances at the Beatty Biodiversity Museum. The performances are the final project of music students and creative writing students. Uh, students taking a lyric songwriting course at UBC. So that's going to be very interesting. You get to listen to some UBC-made tunes from scratch. Dang. An improvised acoustic guitar opera will be played directly within the ribcage of the whale. <laughs> I wish that would be really cool, but I think we're all like, oh, no, that's going to like really ruin the whale. That's, uh, yep, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty good concern. Yep. Um, the ACAM Dialogues live broadcast will be April the uh, 8th. They have a symposium of subverting silence uh, basically, how can we change the dialogue on sexual violence? That's the organizing theme for the uh, 2017 ACAM Dialogue Symposium. This public event will culminate a year of organizing monthly dialogues on sexual violence as it impacts Asian Canadian communities. So we invite everyone to come ex- explore what subversion and silence means through Asian Canadian context and how we can That's take collective yep, action as students, staff, and faculty to change the conversation on sexual violence at UBC and beyond. So that's um, pretty interesting. That's April the 8th. That's at the AMS Student Nest this Saturday, April 8th, the ACAM Dialogues live broadcast. Um, if you want to do uh, something really cool, too, uh, there's a record store day after party, Sunday, April the 23rd. Uh, thanks to our friends at uh, CGSF, CATR, and Discorder. We're going to throw a little uh, record store day after party at Redgate. The party's all ages, $5 at the door, and will feature a record fair with local vendors and live performances in between. It is uh, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, so check it out on Facebook if you'd like to. And other things happening around uh, Vancouver. Um, Pie Theater's uh, Long Division will be uh, coming in April 26th to the 30th uh, at the Annex Theater at 823 Seymour Street. It'll be directed by Richard Wolf with choreography by Leslie uh, Telford and musical score by Owen Belton. This intellectually charged, emotionally gripping work combines multimedia and physical theater to explore the mathematics of human connection. So math is a secret language hidden in plain sight. So much of what we see in the world around us, traffic patterns, the growth of plants, our ubiquitous mobile devices, are governed by logic and patterns that can only be expressed purely in numbers. I'm really wondering where this where this seminar stops and where Darren Aronofsky's movie Pi begins. <laughs> Says the Pi Theater. Which also had Orthodox Jews in it, actually. Uh-huh. To the Pi Theater artistic director Richard Wolf. In this remarkable play, Peter exploits... Peter uh, Dickinson, being the uh, playwright, exploits the phenomenon and takes it a step deeper, using mathematics to chart the connection between disparate humans. It is a thrilling accompaniment whose end result wrenches your heart and sets your mind racing in equal measures. So Long Division's story revolves around seven characters who are traveling to a downtown bar on the occasion of a complicated anniversary. The ensemble represents a diverse and discordant group, including a high school math teacher, a soccer loving imam, a lesbian bar owner, an aspiring actress, and a single mother working in the corporate world, among others. And they actually do walk into a bar. (laughs) Okay. Despite their eclectic backgrounds, the Venn diagram of their lives overlap in a singular, unresolved, traumatic event that binds their paths together. Through excursions into number theory, geometry, and logic, the players struggle to delineate their evocative, elusive patterns of entanglement, but find that one emotional variable consistently remains unresolved. So if you are interested in that, 
Pi Theater presents Long Division, right. April 26th to the 30th. And they eventually find a number that's 200 odd digits long that is actually the true word of the Hebrew God. Okay. And also determines the stock market very similar to the approximate value of theta. <laughs> Maybe. There's, there's some This is things... also during Aronofsky's Pi, but I don't know. It could happen. <laughs> it could happen. Um, anyways, April 26th what to 30th. What is math? If you... <laughs> what are numbers? <laughs> yeah, it's at 823rd Seymour Street. Are we all robots? DC. Other things, if we're talking about robots, and I talked a little about Star Wars by accident, but this is on my mind. The Vancouver Academy of Music Symphony Orchestra will do a uh, movie magic with cinema's greatest music in a John Williams tribute. So oh, if you're wondering really? who John Williams is. A lot of adventure performing scores from Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Indiana Jones, Catch Me If You Can, and more. I gotta do the Bill Murray version of that. Uh-huh. The Content warning. You bastard! Jaws! You, you can't. You can't just say content warning and and drop that. We gotta have like an actual like little clip that goes like, oh, content warning. Really? Yeah. What's what's the difference? Disregard. Anyways, so they're doing a John Williams tribute May seventh. The Vancouver Academy of Music Symphony Orchestra, or VAMSO, now will be uh, May seventh, uh, two p.m. at the Orpheum. Theater. So this will be an homage to the maestro, the movies that will feature uh, Williams' epic and gripping works from Star Wars, uh, Indiana Jones, Catch Me If You Can, and will be all performed under the conductor, Kathleen Allen, if you guys are interested in going to that. Uh, very interesting. Again, Vamso presents a John Williams tribute Sunday, May 7th at 2 p.m., at the Orpheum Theater. Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. If they be bar wars, let them never end. I'm pretty sure that was the Bill Murray version of that. <laughs> All right. And uh, coming is um, Coastal City Ballet will bring the classic Giselle to Vancouver audiences for its sixth season. Uh, love, betrayal, madness, despair, and forgiveness from beyond the grave come to the Vancouver stage in Giselle. So, kind of like Doris, darling, really? <laughs> yeah, I guess so, but it's a little different. Um, so, Giselle, it, it is um, a, a very illustrious and beloved ballet um, piece. And the Canadian premiere is going to be choreographed by Irene Schneider. This is on May 19th at 8 p.m. at the Playhouse in Vancouver and June 9th at 8 p.m. at the Surrey Art Centre in Surrey. So since its Paris premiere in 1841, Giselle has become the epitome of ballet romanticism. Giselle tells of a young peasant girl betrayed by a nobleman disguised as a commoner. Unable to withstand the prince's deception, Giselle dies of a broken heart, only oh. to join the ranks of the supernatural Willis, restless spirits who have died before their wedding day. Oh. As vengeful as they are entrancing, the Willis lure young men into their lair, driving them to dance until they die. You go, girl. I guess Willis is in a heartful display of forgiveness from beyond the grave. Giselle saves her beloved, though, from certain death at the hands of her ghostly sisters. So the very haunting haha hmm. story of innocence and betrayal is this like is like tap we're talking about because like I, that, ballet that oh okay ballet that'll well i've seen black swan ba- ballet can be pretty lethal <laughs> right and uh it's gonna be very interesting uh lee yang ming the artistic director of coastal city ballet is very excited to stage this ambitious um ballet piece in the company's sixth season and it it seems really interesting again uh chore- choreographed by irene schneider 
And this is from Coastal City Ballet. So Coastal City Ballet presents Giselle. That's May 19th uh, at 8 p.m. That is the Vancouver Playhouse. Or June 9th at 8 p.m. at the Surrey Art Center in Surrey. Uh, anyways, that's so? kind of like it for our show. We had such a great yeah. time, like um, bringing guys arts-related content. You know, this like you know the school like term. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for listening to us. And before we leave for the summer days to come and the yeah, we'll long be on hiatus until summer next nights. year. Blah. Yeah, not next year. September. Yeah, right, yeah. It's part of this year, Next man. academic year. I, it's, it's weird because the way the academic year is structured, it splits the way you view the year. Right. Yeah. Well, it's some um, summer. Lo- I hate Greece. Uh. <laughs> Coming. No, we'll, we'll see you guys really in fall. And, and before uh, we do, again, we want to thank everybody who has listened to us, all the people that we got to interview, that we got to review. And in the future, if you are interested in being part of the Arts Report, it's a mm-hmm. very fun, I would say it's like a really rewarding, I would say it's actually rewarding. Like We don't volunteer. pay you, but you get free tickets, yeah. and those, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Not only that, but I think it's a really rewarding volunteer experience because you are able to really appreciate the hard work and talent of so many different artists. You get to like, hear me sing, too. <laughs> that's right. So if you are interested in joining our uh, crew... Style crew I, as i say as i lift up my hands and like a double peace sign yes. uh, our crew in your purple sweater in my purple sweater uh, yes. right uh always like reach out to us arts at catr.ca that is our email you can also mm-hmm. find us on facebook the arts report um on catr if mm-hmm. you're looking for us and we are always looking for more people to come join our show if you love what we do me and jake just kind of list like talking about the things that we love really yes which is a lot of fun yeah i highly recommend it i i I really love this show you know it's been i've been on for two years now i hope to be on it for another two it's a great time it's Mm -hmm. it's it's been very good for me and i would really like to see some other people just share that see some other people but jake i i thought we had a good report for two years see other people let's <laughs> <laughs> see some other people join in on it <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. anyways now any- in this analogy that Uh-oh. would be <laughs> in that comparison to reality people who are in relationships do not try that segue yeah it will not work you will not have a good time i'm not saying we should see other people i'm saying we should have a threesome <laughs> <laughs> anyway um again <clears throat> it was great See you in September. Keep an eye out for the Arts Report on CATR 101.9 FM, broadcasting to you from unceded Muskegon Territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark. And thank you. Cheers.